John chapter 18, beginning at verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood round a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple, where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a cock began to crow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Ed. I used to be a minister myself, but I got sacked. Apparently, I was too small. <laughs> My name's uh, Gary Jenkins, as you discovered. And I ask you, what's this? Thank you for having paid the for me. What's this? You'll never guess this. This is a, a wet face cloth. <laughs> and this is a ball, just in case you can't see. And I'm just wringing out the face cloth. The ball's half full, or half empty, depending upon your personality type. <laughs> and the, what is it now? Well, so you'll never guess this. This is a sweat from my brow. Last Sunday night, when Brian McNamara came and read this account that we're looking at, albeit from another uh, gospel, and then Darren Dalton stood up and preached on it. So, set me a hard task uh, this morning. Thank you for uh, the reading of that. And um, let's consider what is here. We better pray first, haven't we? Oh God, you know all things. You know our hearts, our will and our needs before you. Help us to hear you speaking clearly to us today. Open your word to us and us to your word. Let it take root in our lives and be reflected in our love and our service. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at this from uh, John's Gospel this time, and 
It's set out really like acts from a play or like scenes from a film and uh, we'll be considering it in that way. So first of all we're going to look at uh, a little trailer. All the best films have a trailer don't they? So here's our trailer and um, when I work out how to use this uh, clicker we will see what that's about uh, in a moment. Okay, that trailer is from Mark's Gospel, which we heard from uh, last uh, week, last Sunday night, and it sets the scene. It actually uh, says that after Jesus had been arrested, everyone deserted him and fled. And I asked, what, what sort of love was that? I mean, what were those disciples, those followers of Jesus doing? It actually sounds like no love at all. They'd separated themselves from the one who was the truth, as well as the way and the life. They were in denial. Ah, so we're going to think about denial number one. Actually, we're going to think about ten denials uh, in relation to this passage and uh, these events. But those disciples, as they fled, seems like they were truthless at that time, running away from the truth. You know, I never even touched that, and it went on to the next one. Um, it was a denial of their commitment to stay true to him. And it wasn't set to get any better uh, soon. When Jesus was taken to the high priest court, here, as we've read in John's Gospel, we learn that actually two of the disciples did follow Jesus at a distance. One unknown to us, but certainly not unknown to the high priest. He was allowed into the courtyard whilst Peter had to stay outside. I think of that other disciple. Was he someone with a, a foot in both camps? Or was it the disciple John, as some commentators uh, think? I don't know. Scripture doesn't make it uh, particularly clear who he was, so I'm not going to hazard a guess. But I know the other one. The other one was, of course, Peter. So that's the background. And we have a look at John's account of what happened in this passage against um, a series of denials. See, now I'm touching it and it's not moving. <laughs> oh, there it is. Okay, so first scene. Wait, let me turn it on first. Yeah? yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it's on now. Oh, thank you. Glad somebody knows what they're doing. Uh, a series of denials. So the first of our scenes, denial number two, Peter had to wait outside the door. This other disciple uh, goes in, allowed in because of uh, knowing the high priest, but Peter's outside being denied entry at that point. Here he was. He'd followed Jesus, and now he was cut off from Jesus, not worthy of being allowed entry into that place with others. Maybe he felt inadequate, maybe he felt a, a real outsider of no worth or value, having seen the other disciple accepted. Probably fearful of what might happen to him as he's out there um, waiting to get in. Maybe even feeling deserted. Of course, embarrassment and shame at being denied entry by a servant girl. 
apart from being denied entry by a servant girl, have you ever felt some of those things that he might have been feeling at that time, cut off from Jesus, inadequate, an outsider, of no worth or value, maybe even feeling deserted, embarrassed? I tell you, I, I have and I still do at times. But do you know what? Jesus cares for such people. He knows what we're all going through. And he understands. He understood Peter too, as he was going to face the greatest trial of his faith. And Peter, this is the one who'd been so committed to Jesus. Earlier in John's Gospel, um, is recorded as asking, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. You know Jesus' answer to that? Prophetically, he said, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Uh, Peter, he's the one who confidently proclaimed when Jesus asked, Who do you say I am? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter's the one who, out of zeal for Jesus and Jesus' integrity, uh, cut off the ear of Malchus, who come out with others to arrest Jesus. Here he is, the strong man, being denied that opportunity to enter the courtyard, and by a servant girl as well, until the point when the other disciple came back, and with the agreement of the servant girl, meet her and greet her on the door, you could say, allowed him in. So we come to our next scene, and it changes to inside the courtyard now. But as he goes in, there's a question from the girl. You are not one of his disciples, are you? And so Peter's own denials began. Denial number three. I am not. In answer to her question, that's all he could say. Can you see what he's doing here? Having been shut out by that servant girl, he now shuts himself off verbally, fearfully, by a denial of who he is and of his relationship with Jesus. He was avoiding the truth for his own safety. We might say he was foolish, but I wonder how easy it is for you and I to cover up to try and run with the crowd, holding back on declaring our love of Jesus, to avoid criticism, being ostracised, or worse. And sometimes, I guess, most of us have done that. The camera pans round now, and for our fourth denial, we go and see Jesus before Annas. And Jesus denies Annas's power. Annas was, uh, was described as the high priest. He, strictly, he wasn't the high priest. He was more like high priest emeritus at that time because Caiaphas, it says, his son-in-law, became the high priest. And if you know anything about uh, the Romans at that time, they actually fired uh, Annas and um, Annas had been there for about seven years as a high priest. And over the next 11 years, they appointed and fired high priests at the whim of the government. So finally, we see in Jesus' time, Caiaphas 
the high priest and Annas, the sort of high priest. He had been the high priest at one time. But uh, Jesus denies Annas' power over him. He denied his request to uh, tell him about the disciples and to tell him about what he was teaching. Uh, the basis, maybe, on what he, he could charge him. Uh, Annas clearly feared the disciples <clears throat> or the followers that Jesus had. It became a, a threat to the religious establishment's power. They suspected, I guess, it might lead to insurrection. And whilst Annas was fearful of the threat posed by Jesus and his disciples, ironically, out in the courtyard, Peter was actually denying Jesus. But Jesus protected the disciples. He never betrayed their trust in him and he in them, unfaithful as they must have been at that time. It's a picture of the love that Jesus has for those who sometimes seem unloving, those fleeing, maybe unfeeling disciples. And think about these disciples. They were fishermen. There was a hated tax collector, a traitor, a political rebel, two sons of thunder, angry, argumentative men, some seeking power for themselves, a doubter. And it seems like chief amongst them at that time was Peter, hot-headed and impetuous. I mean, with a, a group like that, were some of them even worth saving? Well, Jesus says, yes. Because his love extends to those who are sometimes seen as unlovely, as the undesirables, as the people whom society downplays. I love that um, verse from Luke 4.18 where Jesus picks up the scroll and he reads out, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Wow. He cares for us all. His love extends to all, all. His grace reaches out to each one of us when we're prepared to come to him. His love for his followers in any age is unconditional. His favour can't be earned. It's free. The scripture puts it this way in Ephesians. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Denial number five. We're not changing scenes as such here. But Jesus, still before Annas, is denied justice. The justice that he deserves. In fact, it's clear from his questioning that Annas himself, this so-called high priest, was in denial. He denied that Jesus was who he said he was, as did the man with the heavy hand who gave Jesus a strong slap. It's an injustice. It's a mock trial conducted illegally at night, asking Jesus to be a witness against himself, contrary to the requirements of the law at that time. And Jesus calls him out. In his answers, he's pointing out the 
illegality of it all. He's being refused justice and knows that God, his father, is always concerned for justice. Psalm 106 puts it this way. Blessed are those who observe justice, who always do what is right. Annas wasn't doing that. Jesus seems to deny that he's having a fair trial, citing in 1820 the fact that I've spoken openly to the world. Also from that uh, verse, he'd use the appropriate channels uh, to bring his message. He says, I always taught in the synagogues or in the temple where the Jews gathered. He'd employed no secret tactics. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Apparently one of the things that used to happen at that time where there were travelling preachers, sometimes rabbis, and they would gather a following and they would, they would sometimes speak openly um, in the public to people, but they'd also speak secretly to their own followers. Jesus was having none of that. He spoke out openly. He said nothing in secret, and yet here he was being challenged, being put on trial. It was a mock trial, but nevertheless, here he was before Annas. Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. So Jesus pointed out that he was speaking the truth. If I said something wrong, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Jesus was asked to be his own witness. Just uh, wasn't on. You couldn't do that at those trials. And it was an unfair trial. He was being denied justice. I suppose the challenge to us as Christians is to speak out when we're unfairly criticised, when we're treated unjustly for our Christian faith, for our service, for our truthfulness, and out of love, still continue to witness for him. And I think of all those who, throughout history, the history of Christianity, have suffered and even died for their faith, unfairly, because they were prepared to go on witnessing, to speak in the Christian truth, in the face of illegal and unsympathetic, <coughs> excuse me, unsympathetic regimes. Pray for those who continue to do that today. Pray for the persecuted church across the nations and seek justice for all those Christian and non-Christian who are being treated unjustly. Annas was in denial, really, that Jesus was who he said he was. But of course, it's a denial shared by many people today, some more famous than others. I mean, I think of people like Sandy Toxvig, Stephen Fry, Ricky Gervais, who's got a sellout um, event coming up at the arena, George Clooney, actor, Helen Mirren, Miley Cyrus, Rowan Atkinson, you know, Mr. Bean, it really is uh, being strange here in denying Jesus Christ. But they're just the tip of the iceberg. They're the famous ones. But many people you'll meet in your daily work, you're out going to college, in your leisure places, also will deny Jesus. My question to you is, will you stand up for the truth?
in contrast to, to those truthless disciples of a truthful Messiah. Paul pointedly says in Romans 10, verse 14, how should they hear without a preacher? You know, without someone prepared to tell them. Will that be you? Back to the uh, next scene now, scene number four. The camera pans round as we look at denial six and seven, where Jesus denies, Peter denies Jesus again and again. So denials six and seven uh, belong to him, who is, of course, is on second and third denials of Jesus. And we see Peter already feeling the heat from that charcoal fire, but then from an unnamed character. Some say that Peter was recognised as a follower of Jesus because of his accent. And I'm so glad I don't have an accent. <laughs> but I'm glad also that I'm recognised as a follower of Jesus for so many other things. You're not one of his disciples, are you? Peter replied, once again, emphatically, I am not. It's the second time he made that statement. I mean, compare it to Jesus' own answer when he was asked in the garden by those who came to accuse and arrest him. Where he said, I am he. Peter said, I am not. Peter had cut off the ear of Malchus, one of the men who'd come to arrest Jesus. Uh, that's a bad enough uh, problem in itself. But then here comes the question from a relative of Malchus. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? It's the last of Peter's denials. And then the cock crowed. Just as Jesus had prophesied that it would. Peter's lack of truthfulness have been highlighted, have been exposed. And it happened just as Jesus had said it would. Why does Peter deny Christ? It's not Peter's faith, I think, that fails, but it's his courage. It's his fear. It was the love that he'd earlier seemed to proclaim for Jesus, now lacking practical expression. He's unwilling to stand up in the face of adversity, claim to be a follower of Christ, the Christ who acted not out of fear, not out of fear, but out of faithfulness. After the cock crowed, after his failure to acknowledge Jesus, Luke's gospel says, and he went outside and wept bitterly. Sorrow for sin and genuine love for Christ, for others too, is what characterises the Christian faith? Does it characterise you and I? We come to denial number eight. This is not the end. The cock's crow denies actually that this is the end for Peter. Sometimes used as a symbol. Some say that the crow of the crock, cock, crow of the cock represents the weakness of man and the grace of Christ in forgiving sinners. The Christ in whom all things become new. That a new day of forgiveness and grace has dawned. And believers, saved by grace, are to proclaim 
the good news to a world in need of light in their darkness. Jesus knows the hearts of people. He knows mine and your hearts too. He knows what we do. He knows sometimes we let him down. The ways in which we will fail him. But he never stops loving us. Or using us to further his message. The crowing at the start of the day. Comes after the end of Jesus' night trial. Again illegal in itself. And of Peter's own trial. Before other people. Peter three times. Denied his Lord. But he was forgiven. He was restored and he was sent out to live for the glory of God. The cock's crow reminds us that Christ extends hope to sinners everywhere. It wasn't the end. A new beginning was being offered. I think that crowing must have haunted Peter for many years. It was like a wake-up call to him. It may even have helped him to stay humble watchful, committed to his calling. And you know, our own past failures can be like battle scars in our lives as well. But battle scars that propel us towards greater devotion, stricter loyalty to Jesus when we recall how much he has done for us. We come to our ninth denial. Jesus denied his own life for our sake. I love this quote from Bishop J.C. Ryle. Surely, if there is any doctrine in the Bible that needs to be clearly known, it is the doctrine of Christ's voluntary substitution. He suffered and died willingly and unresistingly because he knew that he had come to be our substitute and by substitution to purchase our salvation. <clears throat> Peter, who later on, having been restored, says this, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. He's done that. He's done that for us. He's done that for you and I when we least deserved it. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Praise God that he was prepared to do that for even you and I in our sin. I'm going to change the scene there and look at denial uh, number 10, which asks, what about you and I? Not strictly a denial, uh, but an application of what we've considered today. How then can we ensure that we don't deny Jesus' call upon us this week? Us to be his servants, his followers. Here's some practical suggestions. Praise him for what he has done. Praise him. He's done so much for you and I. Let's be a people of praise. Share the good news of Jesus Christ openly. Peter was a bit afraid of doing that. Now listen, take courage. 
be prepared to share that good news because there's a world out there, even our friends, even our family, who need to hear of Jesus Christ and of his saving power. Perhaps a relative, a friend, even a stranger. Don't be fearful, but be faithful. Live out your faith. Ask God to give you the strength to do so. And make it more than talk, but the thing that drives you into action for him. Retain and maintain your love for him. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another, said Jesus. For the younger ones, uh, perhaps it seems like a daily battle to stand up for Jesus Christ. Um, top end of school, college, uh, wherever you are, maybe just uh, started work, maybe uh, university or, or thinking of going to university. It, it can be really hard. It can seem like a daily battle you're facing to stand up for him. But you too can praise God for what he has done. You too can do that. Build genuine relationships with others. They lead to opportunities to speak about Jesus. Ask and trust God to give you the strength when people pour fun at you because of your faith. We all need to do that, don't we? Let's pray. Living Lord God, in the person of Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us always to follow your way. Help us to know your truth and abide in it. Help us to pursue your way of life and to follow your desires for us. And may all our responses to you be yes and Amen. And if you wanted um, something to talk about over coffee, how can I live the Christ life when there are so many denials of him? How can I live the Christ life when there are so many denials of him? What I need to do before I sit down is to clean up this mess I've made.